Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Have you thought about sex lately? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, have you really thought about it? Like your sexual health? Potentially your sexual diversity? Well, I can tell you that my guest today, Lori Beth Bisbee, has spent a lifetime thinking about sex. Sex from A to Z. Everything from kink, erotica, edging, masturbation, polyamorous relationships. We get into all of it, folks. Maybe it'll make you blush a little bit. Maybe it'll make you think. It's just a good open discussion about a part of our health and wellness that is often kept way too silent. Today, I invite you to listen to this really incredible conversation that I had with Laurie Beth Bisbee. Okie dokie. Well, Laurie, I'm pretty pumped that you're on the show today. I've been looking forward to this one quite a bit. Wonderful. So I ran across you on the site Spotaguest, and um, obviously your information jumped out at me. And I was like, I need to talk to this woman. I want to see what's going on with a variety of things that you're doing in your life and really jump into it. So I'm happy to be speaking with you today. I'm really glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this too. This will be So fun. I want to jump into kind of how did you get into the business of, uh, you know, your A to Z podcast, the business of sex and clinical psychology, There's so much in there, but what was the origins of all of this? Um, well, I started out so I've always been interested in sex, and, and that's probably not surprising. Um, but I started out as um, actually uh, going to school for broadcast journalism because um, I really enjoy doing stuff like this, and I enjoy doing um, being in front of the camera, behind the camera, writing. So uh, that was where I was going. And um, when I was 19... I ended up in an incredibly traumatic situation um, and um, developed post-traumatic stress disorder. And at that point, began to look at psychology. Um, and that's also not unusual. A lot of times when you speak with people who, who got into psychology, that's how they ended up there. Um, so it was sexual violence. And mm -hmm. so that was the area that I was trying to work through myself to understand um, the complications that come from having a set of desires that when you're getting them met consensually is great. Mm -hmm. um, and then being in a, in a situation where it's non-consensual and what that does, it's very confusing. Um, and what that does to your desire afterwards after you survive sexual violence. So 
um, I was dealing with things like shame and um, trying to understand, and this is quite common for rape victims, um, you know, was there something I did that caused this, you know, where was the no? Why didn't he hear the no? Because I, I was involved with the guy for a few weeks before he turned on me. Um, and the, and my mind was a particularly vicious attack, so uh, it was more confusing because of that, because it was particularly intense. So I transferred my major and I decided to study clinical psychology um, and got better from PTSD, found the right treatments that worked for me, um, but all the while kept up an interest in sex and sexuality and relationships. And in working with people in particular, an interest in people who didn't fit the kind of heteronormative group, because I didn't either. Um, and um, so I developed those kind of two expertises. And then over the years, just like my media stuff came back, you know, mm -hmm. desire to actually, I, I think when I got to the point where I was really comfortable with myself, and I mean, there's not, a, there isn't a topic I won't talk about. There's no longer any concern about, you know, um, being in any kind of a closet anywhere. Um, and so that's when I decided that I would start doing some more media. And so I started the podcast in 2016, in October. And then in uh, December of uh, 2018, um, Voice America approached me to turn it into um, a hosted show for them. Um, and so I've just finished my first year with them. And I, I don't see any sign of stopping this. I have too That's much. Amazing. That's amazing. So I wanna so when did you figure out that you were not kind of in the, the heteronormative group of people? I've always known You always known it. I've always known that. I mean, my first desires, my first interests were about power and power exchange. And um what I when I was nine, I made myself a bottle to live in because from I Dream of Jeannie, so yeah. that I could, you know, I could await my master living in the bottle. Um, and, you know, obviously I had a very childish understanding of that, but, but when I felt arousal, it was around somebody being in charge and somebody being in control of me. And so that's where I started. And I knew that that wasn't something that, you know, my little friends were into you know because i listened to what they talked about and things and you you know you fly a comment and somebody looks at you like what you're strange you know <laughs> it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly um and that was what was most important to me gender really is not an issue for me um i didn't understand i didn't have words for that until oh i don't know to go oh be able to explain that because I, I would say I was special, but that's not really accurate. What it is, is that I'm, I'm empowered. That's what's important to me. So I'm attracted to the, I'm attracted to dominant people. Doesn't matter what their gender are, uh, is, excuse me. Um, and I'm attracted to um, that kind of energy. Interesting. Now, when, how has that manifested itself in your relationships uh, throughout the years uh, that have you... Uh, focus primary on, primarily on that dominance in those relationships, or how has that gone? Um, it's a complex. I mean, there it's there's a complex set of desires. Um, so, 
when I say that's like my orientation for me, it's not just a sexual thing. So it's not, you know, let's go play games in the bedroom. Yeah. I like a structure in a relationship, but for many years, um, I, I didn't live with a partner where I had that kind of, um, a relationship. Um, I'm also non-monogamous, consensually non-monogamous. So, um, one of my marriages was non-monogamous and the, ma- the marriage was kind of pretty normative. Um, and I got my needs, my other needs met elsewhere. Um, so, um, now I'm in a full-time relationship, my husband, with my husband, which is a power exchange, which works really well. And in fact, my other non-monogamous relationships, most of them have power exchanges in them as well. So now I'm really, I'm really getting to live it 100%. Um, but it took some learning about myself and understanding what the limits were for me. And each one of these relationships has to be constructed from scratch because there's no, there's no rule book. Right. I mean, I like to describe a heteronormative relationship as one of those off the shelf things. Right. You go into the shop and you pick it up off the shelf and it comes with a set of expectations um, and um, a set of understandings that and, and a set of assumptions that actually really you should talk about and challenge because most of these things don't work for everyone. Um, and that's where a lot of relationship problems come into play because people just walk right in with all of their assumptions and expectations. Right. If you have unusual desires, you can't do that. You have to go person by person to figure out how do we construct something or do we construct something that works for the both of us. Tell me about this this power exchange. I'd like to learn a little bit more about that. Like, what's that conversation like? <laughs> what's the conversation like? Well... I don't know. It depends. You know, I mean, the really simplified version of it for me, when people, it's people complicate it. One person's in charge and the other isn't. Right. So, you know, so for me, um, well, so for me, the last word comes from my husband. Now in my job in the world, I mean, you can see I'm not at all, um, meek or mild. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm quite a dominant personality myself. Um, and so what I'm doing is choosing to give him authority over me. And what does that, what does that intho- authority entail? So in our relationship, um, he's not a micromanager. So, so I mean, in some relationships, authority might be the person's picking out your clothing. They're telling you what you can do mm. when. They're commenting on everything you do. And what you have to understand about stuff like that is this is all eroticized, right? So people are like, why would you want somebody to, you know tell you what to do all the time and things like that. And, um, you know, what, what's exciting, you know, that sounds boring or it sounds annoying or it sounds, some people will say it sounds abusive. Abuse is a very specific thing. It's not abusive when it's consensual, but what they, they miss out on is the eroticization of it, right? If you don't want to do the dishes and your partner says you're going to do the dishes naked or, you're going to do the dishes because I want you to do the dishes. And the whole time you're doing the dishes, I want you to be thinking of X, Y, Z, and W, which are all things that I'm going to do to you after you finish doing the dishes or, you know, so ordinary activities become eroticized in some of these relationships. It's great. Um, (laughs) I kind of like it. (laughs) um, Or like, you know, I know uh, how blunt can I be? 
you can be I, as blunt as you want to be. Right. I want you to be yourself and be but wide I, open. I swear like a trooper, but I'm and I'm never sure with what level shows are at. So um, I remember a guy, a submissive guy, who was um, told if he did the dishes, he'd get a blowjob while he was doing the dishes. Yeah. So his mistress was giving him a blowjob, told him, you're not allowed to have an orgasm. <laughs> if you have an orgasm, you're going to get punished. Oh. So it was this whole game of trying to focus on getting these dishes done so that the dishes were actually properly done and, and were spotless while managing not wanting to um, reach orgasm because not wanting to be punished and enjoying the sensation. So completely different way of doing dishes. Now, um, <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> Most of us don't live that way day to day. I mean, we have lives, normal, ordinary lives that, in, in, you know, interfere. But there's um, there's more of an erotic element for a lot of people. Many people are also very, in, very in what they enjoy is service. They enjoy pleasing someone else. They enjoy doing for someone else. Yeah. So that's less eroticized, but still has that power dynamic. So, that, you know, sometimes you'll see somebody will be like, in, in sort of the old 1950s style relationships, you remember mm -hmm. the old, you know, yeah. so one mom was at home and she was in charge of making sure dad's life ran well. So you see some of those sorts of power exchanges. So that it looks different depending on different people. And in, in my life, I mean, if he micromanaged, both of us would go nuts. So um, I know I act in the spirit of what I know he would want me to do in any given situation hmm. because I know his vision and his mind about most things. And for, for some things, if I need permission, I get permission, but he doesn't interfere with my job. For example, I do what I, you know, I make decision, any decision I want to make. I don't have to talk with him about that. That's, you know, completely my bailiwick. But he does enjoy the fact that I'm his. So I'm out there in front and people are like, ooh, shiny, shiny, ooh, shiny, shiny. It's like, yeah, it's mine, right? That's mine over there. You know, and that's a kink for him. Um, it's it's, it's a, a, a variant. It's not as common a variant as the kind of micromanaging type person. I mean, I knew I was going to like this and I already like it quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I like? Lori, I like honesty. Like when you said, well, what can, you know, what can you say? I'm like, you know, I think for me, my podcast is about like, hey, people are maybe not tuned into what you're talking about on a regular basis, you know, especially my audience. I don't think they're tuned into it. But what people always tell me is they like when I have different guests who are doing things that they're just not used to and exposes a different aspect of their life. And so that's why I try to get people on or maybe a little different than what people are used to because it will expose maybe a vein in them or they'll learn about something maybe that they just never would have come in contact with. So, I mean, I, don't, I can't be any other way. I think authenticity is really one of the most important things um, that anyone can strive for and it's what makes for a happy life when you just are a hundred percent you and in these sorts of relationships it's essential right honesty and transparency and one of the things that people who are involved in relationships that are be they that are alternative be they bdsm or consensual non-monogamy is we talk a lot right with each other 
um, in a way that people who are involved in, again, all those off-the-shelf relationships don't. And it, it means that we're more likely to get our needs met, not just sexual needs, needs, period, you know. Right. Um, needs, wants, and desires are more likely to get met because we have a conversation. Whereas a lot of people, and I still get people in my consulting room who still just find it almost impossible to talk about what they desire with their partner because they're deathly afraid. What are they afraid of? What do you think they're afraid of? Um, they're deathly afraid that their partner is going to go, ugh, right? Or, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. I mean, you know, suppose you're in a marriage, you've been in a marriage for 10 years and you're somebody who wants to be married forever and, and you, <clears throat> you know, you love your partner and you've got a great relationship and you've never told them what your biggest desire is. And it doesn't have to be anything unusual, right? It might be, um, you know, I want to watch you masturbate, which isn't that out right. there. Compared and compared to what's out there, yeah. Right. Or it might be, I want to have sex in a semi-public place, or it might be, I want to watch pornography with you. Whatever it is, right? Um, they never told the person because they're afraid of being rejected. Or the worst one, and this is so common, it's scary. You meet, you have sex, you fake orgasm mm -hmm. because you don't know each other very well and you're having a good time and you want your partner to, to know that they're doing well because it feels good, but you know you're not going to get there and you don't want to give an instructional lesson in the first time you're having sex. That becomes a pattern. Ten years down the road, what do you do suddenly say to your partner, uh, um, by the way, um, you know all those things you think really do it for me? <laughs> None of them do it for me. I'll never forget a woman came in. She said, um, um, I'm in real trouble. And I said, you know, what happened? She said, well, he's sleeping in the, in the spare room. I said, why? She said, well, you know, we're together for 15 years. And um, I faked orgasm from day one. Whoa. Um, Right. And I finally got to a place where I wanted to be honest. I wanted to get what I wanted to get. Right. I finally, you know, I finally wanted to really get there. And um, so I had been kind of suggesting some things and whatever new things. And he was really into trying new things. And I and I had an orgasm with him. And I said, well, what's the problem? And she said, well, I my fake orgasms were all loud and shouting and moaning. And when I have an orgasm, I'm really quiet. <laughs> so he knew. He knew the difference, he, right? I mean, he was like, what, what was, what was that? And, and she was like, you know, oh, that, you know, I just, I just came. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If that's what coming looks like for you, what was all of this shit all these years? So then we had to work on helping them, you know, kind of heal the relationship. But, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. This is this is uh, amazing. <laughs> and, I mean, most people's exposure to things like power exchange and BDSM, unfortunately, has been Fifty Shades of Grey. So yeah. um, if people do want to read things, there's a ton of good stuff that you can read out there. Um, um, good information, but also hot and sexy stuff that doesn't suggests that the only people who do this have either been abused or are abusers or both. Um, and that doesn't forget about consent and all those other things. So what is the conversation? Like, I'm fascinated, like, you know, 
uh, consensual non-monogamy. I think, yeah. you know, it's kind of been blown up a little bit with TV shows and stuff and polyamorous, you know, relationships. What's that conversation like when getting with somebody and say, hey, you know, I, I want to be with other people in certain ways and things? Yeah. So here's the thing. The, most of the television shows are around polygamy. Right. right? Which yeah. is consensual non-monogamy. It's just that's a particular form um, and it, it, it's usually, you know, it's a man and more wives, you know, that's usually right. the case. Right. Um, and that's a whole different conversation than um, most of the ones that I see. Um, I mean, for I advise people, and I'm certainly this way, to be open and upfront from the beginning, right? I am somebody who loves more than one person at a time. It doesn't mean I always have more than one relationship. But just like if you have two kids, there's no problem loving two kids or four kids or five kids or one kid, right? You yeah. don't have to limit yourself to one. That's how it is for me in my romantic and sexual relationships. That's how it's always been for me. Um, I've been, I, I mean, I was in a monogamous marriage for eight years um, and I kept my vows. But, but internally for me, if I really like somebody and we really connect and we really get on, I probably want to fuck them. And yeah. it's just how it right i might not do it even even though i'm consensually non-monogamous right i still might not choose to sleep with somebody um that i'm into be, for a whole host of reasons like you know complications work wouldn't be a good relationship whatever whatever um or in my case i need to get permission anyway so that's where the <laughs> that's right comes in, right so ours is more complicated but i mean but that's my reality if i really dig somebody yeah i'm gonna want to fuck them and um the idea that I could be told that I had to pick one person and that was the only person um, and that meant one gender forever and that meant what, you know, it just never sat right with me. And it isn't because it's shallow. It's not, you know, people also think it's about, it's it's all about the sex. It's not, I'm, I'm my relationships, I've got one relationship, I've been on and off with this person since I was 17 years old. You know, we love each other. Um, in fact, we're not having much sex these days. It's just, you know, we're both doing different things and um, we're still in a relationship. We still love each other, right? So there's a lot of long-term committed relationships, which is one of the things that people miss. They think, oh, it's because you're commitment shy. It, but there are people also whose non-monogamy is just about sex. Like, so there's lots of flavors. Right. Uh, so how do you have the conversation is you start out being honest. And I advise people, do not wait until you get to know someone before you tell them how kinky you are. Because six months down the road, when you've gotten to know them and they've fallen in love with you and you've fallen in love with them and you go, oh, hey, by the way, these are the things I like. You know, I'm not I, I want to sleep with a lot of people or I want to have a lot of different relationships or I'd like to live in a you know communal situation or you know, I like getting spanked or whatever it is. If you wait, what, what if the other person isn't compatible with you? Right. Now you're connected and now you've got a problem that you wouldn't have. It's just like if religion's important to you, when you meet somebody, you tell them what your religion is and then it's important to you. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's no different, except that people think it is. I don't know why. That's people weird to me. I don't know. That's weird. Talk about sex. They'll 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 meet someone in a bar and they'll go home and screw that night, but they don't think you should talk about sex. <laughs> How weird is that, right? That's strange. It's bizarre. 
I mean, even now, you can barely get people to have the safe sex conversation. I'm like, did you tell them what you like, or did you tell her what you like, or did you tell them what you like? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> it, it's uncomfortable to talk about that. But they'll have sex. They'll have sex with somebody they just met, but then won't talk about. No. Even the act of talking is, seems more scary than actually the act of performing Absolutely. during sex. Well, there are tons of married couples who have never had a conversation about sex ever, except about when they were going to have it. Right. right. Are we doing it tonight, baby? You know, that's the conversation goes. Or, or, or maybe we're not going to use birth control because we're having, you know, we're going to try it for a child. But never talked about what desire, pleasure, what I don't want, what I do want. Wouldn't it be cool if? And worse than that, there are tons of people who don't even know what they like. Mm. They haven't a clue. Yeah, I could see that. So in that, so you're putting that information out there pretty directly, yeah. pretty immediately. Now, are you in an environment where you're meeting people that are more like yourself so it's easier or how does that work? Um, I mean, I think I'm not sometimes, but um, I think that the reality is that often we're not in environments where we're meeting people mm -hmm. that are more like ourselves and we're having to do a little detective work. Um, most people meet online these days. Um, I abhor meeting online, um, and I've made my only made my first foray into internet dating in the last six months, and it's been um, interesting. Uh, I really try and avoid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! I mean, I, tell really, me. Listen, guys, could you do me a favor? One, learn to read. Okay, we don't write profiles for the hell of it. We write profiles for a reason, and in particular, because I'm dating with some very specific things in mind, right? I'm not looking for a lifetime partner. I've got one of those, thanks, right? So I'm dating, so I've put, I've got a nice little clear profile. Fucking learn to read. Number two, do not start, make an approach that says, hi, my name is when your name is on your it's profile. on the profile, yeah. Or how my name is and I'm from, and your name and where you're from is on the profile. Be creative. Actually show me that you've read the profile. Equally, don't start an approach with, oh, you know, I really think I'd love to fuck you because, right? You're not gonna... <laughs> oh, and, and just a small pet peeve. I'm, I wrote an article last month called uh, LinkedIn is not a dating app, um, etiquette and um, boundaries on, in social media. I'm pretty and sure I reason... saw that, by the way. Yeah. yeah, well, there's a reason why I did that. And it's actually had the desired effect because people have stopped doing this to me, which makes me feel so much better mm -hmm. because I was getting more guys and I'm saying guys because they were, I mean, the women weren't doing this on LinkedIn, um, more guys who were writing me about their intimate desires with, with not even a buy your leave, not even hello, I'm so-and-so, <laughs> you know, I want somebody to fuck me in the ass. I'm like, do I care? Right? Wow. Why are you telling me this? Um, or propositioning me. And it's like, I'm on LinkedIn as a professional. I have no interest. And besides, even if we did kind of, we were talking and we kind of got along, like I had one guy who approached me totally cool because we've been chatting about other things and there was clear, there was a spark and he tried it on and I said, thank you very much. And we're nowhere's near each other in the world. And I don't get to where he is very often. So I was like, yeah, this is probably not going to work, but I, yeah, I hear you. 
No problem. But it's, it's, it's a general thing, which is actually take the time. And I've talked to men about this and they tell me that because they often don't get responses from women, they take a scattergun approach. Like they'll like say hi to 150 women in the hopes that they'll get one response. Hmm. Um, it's a volume approach kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I got to tell you that um, you're not going to get a response from anybody like me because I don't really give a shit what you look like. You know, I like beautiful as much as the next person. But if you can't speak a sentence to me, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm, I am what they call sapiosexual, which means that um, I'm turned on by intelligence. Sapiosexual. I've never heard that term before. Yeah, it's a great term. I love it, it is. It sounds good. Sapiosexual. Sapiosexual. I'm turned on by intelligence. Well, you know, the biggest erogenous zone we have is our brains. Very interesting. Wow. So, you know, like if you can't string a sentence together, I'm probably not going to go out with you. But it's just, I just find the whole internet dating thing, like this whole idea of swiping, right? Oh, I'm going to reject you and I'm going to accept you. So weird. Don't, don't you think that's weird? I don't know. Bizarre. I think it's great for a hookup. But now, it, now people think that they should be doing it for dating. I mean, if all you want to do is go out and find somebody to quick have a quick hookup with, no judgment on my part. You know, I don't do that um, because I like energy connections. I really like that connection. So yeah. you can't do that in a hookup. You've got to kind of spend time with someone. But, you know, no judgment. If that's all you want, then swiping probably works just fine. But if you actually want to have a relationship with someone, you've got to talk. <laughs> you've you got to communicate. So um, I think, and one of the reasons I resorted to, to doing a profile on this one particular site, which will remain nameless, which is not a fetish site, right? It's a dating site, but it's a dating site that services a lot of people who have alternative lifestyles. Um, and one of the reasons I did that is because while I meet an awful lot of people, I don't meet an awful lot of people that I might necessarily form a connection with um, who, who are like me. So I it made it easier to say, look, this is what I'm, this is who I am and this is what I'm looking for. Um, but you have to be patient. Yeah. Patient. So when you're talking to people like you you know, in polyamorous relationships, is it pretty much right off the bat? You're like, Hey, listen, I feel like, you know, I may have a connection with you here, but this is what I want in these different yes. areas. And I know I, like that. I start with, you can see my wedding ring, right? You know, yeah. um, start right. I mean, that's what people would normally see, but I start with, I'm married. You know, because I'm married and in a power exchange, that's the next bit because that makes it more complicated. But I'm married um, and we um, we engage in consensual non-monogamy. We're polyamorous. Um, and, and I might want to, you know, let's see. You want to see where this might go, right? I'm into mm -hmm. you, so let's figure out where we might go. Um, and then we, in my circumstance, if I connect with someone, the next thing is for them to talk to him. Interesting. So before I get heavily involved with anybody, you know, we connect. The next thing is you need to have a conversation with him. Now, it might just be a telephone conversation. It depends on what I want out of it more than what the other person initially. Then it depends on what the other person wants out of it. But if, you know, like if I'm at an event and all I want is to be able to, you know, have a makeout session with someone, 
you know, that's not going to take a big conversation, right? <laughs> but if I, you know, want to begin some sort of sexual relationship, then, you know, he needs to have a conversation with the person. And so that rules out a lot of people for me, you know, right, because there are right. a lot of people who just are like, well, I'm not going to be involved with him, so I don't want to talk to him. And I'm like, well, that's cool. That means we're not going to date. It's really simple for me. And I'm like, why, why, why does he have to be involved? Well, he doesn't have to be involved in the relationship, but our dynamic says that he has to be, he's the one with the agency, I'm not. He can, he forms the relationships and he breaks the relationships if need be. To be fair, he's never ended a relationship that I was in. He's told me only once, this is not healthy for you, you're miserable and you've been miserable and you've tried to resolve this yourself six times, it's not working, either you end it or I do. So I went and did the smart thing and ended it, you know. What's the conversation like, though, between those two people, between your husband and the person you're interested in? Like, I'm seriously, I'm sitting like, how did that start out? It depends. I mean, you know, the, the most two most recent conversations with him, one, he and the woman hit it off so well that they ended up on the phone for an hour and a half and talking about all sorts of shit. <laughs> um, and, you know, we have we have people that we are close to together as a couple. Um, and I'm in relationship with them. And he's a voyeur, so, you know, in that situation, and he really enjoys that. So, I mean, so there's, you know, sometimes we get close with people and we're just close with them. And other times it's my person who he had then has a cordial relationship with. So with that woman, he just spent, um, you know, they just really liked each other. Um, with a guy that I started to date, um, the conversation was about a half hour and it was just sort of, you know, part of it was like, what are your intentions? You know, what do you want from my girl? What are you looking for? Yeah. And, um, and the guy- Are they really honest about it? They're like really honest? Not, he can tell and he'll tell them to fuck off. Yeah. It's really simple. Right. You know? um, he's like, what do you want from her? And you know, the person was really straightforward and really honest and they talked for a while and he said, I like him. You like him too, don't you? And I, I, I'd already decided, and he said, I like him. Let's see where this goes. But that doesn't mean like then you carte blanche tomorrow. I mean, we take time getting to know people. So he's like, okay, I trust you. I like him. Go ahead and get to know him. Interesting. Wow. I'm, I'm fascinated by all this for sure. And I know my listener is going to be like, Darian, this may be one of the craziest episodes. <laughs> like, and maybe the best, one of the best, which is because I love learning about all these things. But I wonder, like, what is the, from your callers or people you have on, what is the most common kink that you see that people have? What, that, um, from callers, people I have on and clients? Yeah, just everybody, just kind of a mix, smash up. Is, is there um, something that's common? Well, I mean, actually, you know, um, okay, so spanking is one of the most common. Spanking, okay. Yeah, yeah, people like spanking. Um, now, with a with like their hand or with a with a everything. Piece of everything, like I mean, you know, most people start with their hand, but most people mistake um, uh, barehanded spanking as being easier to take than a, a spanking with a paddle. And let me really? tell you, yeah, let me tell you, it depends on the person's hands. Okay, it depends. <laughs> on, seriously, my husband's a percussionist. He's playing that thing, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In fact, he teaches a work. We, we, we've done this at a, at a conference. He taught a workshop on creating a human drum circle on his drum. He will seriously, he, he, he'll drum on me with sticks, yeah. with mouths, and with his hands. Wow. God, Prince goes on the radio. I'm in deep shit. Oh, you know? I love Prince. <laughs> so does he. 
little red Corvette comes on, you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. wow. Um, so what's so, so it could be different with like a wooden implement or something or metal. I mean, I'm trying to learn here too. <laughs> okay. So people spank with bare hand. They spank with covered hands. So like leather gloves, leather it's a different gloves. sensation. Um, they spank with, um, I mean, that, and then they, they, then the rest is impact play. So then you can use a paddle and there are soft paddles, hard paddles, paddles with holes in them, paddles that are metal paddles that are, and God help you for that. Um, you know, paddles made of leather, um, paddles made of wood, uh, paddles made of plastic. Ew. Um, then there are canes. Canes. Canes hurt. I feel like that would hurt like a lot. Yeah. All of it hurts, but it's um, it hurts good. So now you're into whether or not somebody's masochistic, okay. and there and there, but but there's a continuum, right? So a spanking may hurt, but not you. You may not be a masochist because it only hurts a small amount, and a certain kind of spanking might only hurt a small amount. Right. Um, and so it's really just a kind of bringing the blood to the surface. So that sensation. So you go from sensation through to pain um, and intense pain. And for people who are um, um, seriously masochistic, intense pain can be really hot. I mean, it, it, they get high and, and, or, and for me, that's the way it is. Oh, okay. That's the feeling yeah. you get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but, you know, that doesn't mean somebody comes in and just like wails on you, right? There's a, if somebody just comes in and straight wails at me, I'm going to shout at them, spit at them, probably try to hit them. And, yeah. and, and the only time that he ever does something like that is if he wants to get a reaction out of me for some reason. Um, because that, there's nothing pleasant. I, my body doesn't have the time to, 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 to transmute the pain. The endorphins right. don't have time to come out. But sometimes it's about surrendering. You know, Sometimes it's like, I just want you to surrender to me. It's not about your pleasure right now. Right. So there's there's different ways that this can go. But masochists get pleasure out of pain and sadists enjoy inflicting pain on consensual mm. people. They don't enjoy mostly they enjoy inflicting pain on people who get off on it. Right. Rather than right. inflicting pain on somebody who doesn't. So I'll answer the most common question I'm ever asked is, oh, like so like if you go to the dentist, do you, you, know, do you enjoy that? No. <laughs> right. There's context around any kind of pain. I mean, even tattooing, and I've, I've got lots of tattoos. I've got a full back piece. I'm, I've got mm -hmm. lots of tattoos. Um, you know, and the initial part of the tattooing is really hard to sit through. And then you get to anybody who's ever yeah. had a tattoo those. I have several, that. too. Yeah. So you get to that plateau of this is cool, right? Totally, totally. Yeah. And you're high. Well, that's the same thing with masochism, right? Only you get the sexual part of it as well. So you get the sexual arousal that goes with that. Whereas with, if you're not sexually aroused by pain, then the tattooing will just get you high. You won't feel any arousal. Does that make sense? No, it makes, actually, you had me thinking about something that, I wonder if you've ever heard this before. Um, like you like pain, you get, I, I don't want to say this is an arousal for me. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how you would classify it, right? So I'm in the fitness business, exercise business. And uh, I would think sometimes I think my view of exercising is maybe a little different in the sense of like, I like being in extreme amounts of pain when I exercise. Like I enjoy like the, well, that's insane no, that, for me. You that, know what I mean? Like it's, I like being there at the edge. 
Yeah. I enjoy like when I'm like really like, whoo. So you like that edge place. Yeah, I like to be at the edge. I like to be at the point where I want to quit because it's so incredibly difficult for me. And I feel like I thrive in that. Or when I see somebody else in a lot of pain, when I'm exercising, let's say I'm exercising with somebody, I get off on that. Like not sexually. It's just because uh, I don't, that would be weird for me, but like it, I want to go harder after that. So I'm just going to put this out there. And just, it's just, just you know, I put it out there. I'm letting right. people know here. Just something to think about. Um, you might actually enjoy some of some of the kind of BDSM play because it's because for a lot of people it's about the edge, right? It's about the edge and it's about the change in states, right? Yes. From, yeah, that's what it's about, and 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 the adrenaline that goes with that and all the different chemicals. So it's something that if you decided to to kind of explore and play with, you might find that you enjoyed one side or the other or both just because you're playing with running that edge. Like one of the things that people do, I mean, and it's called edging is where you push somebody to the edge of orgasm and you try and keep them on that place. Yes. But not going over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And not coming down from it. So it's all those sorts of things that are what makes um, this stuff so arousing for so many people. That's interesting. So is there any other, besides spanking, what else do you hear from people quite a bit that? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, people, people like, um, being restrained. They like being tied up. They like cuffs. They like rope. They like, what uh, is it about the choking thing? I've heard with people they're in the choking choking thing. Well, again, that's another edge thing, right? Okay. A couple bits. There's biochemical things that happen, right? And you get really high from that. But also, it's that playing with death thing. Hmm. It's very dangerous, by the way. I mean, I, that sounds so stupid. It's obvious it's very it's dangerous. It's obviously dangerous, yeah. But, but what I mean to say by that is that it it's dangerous when it might not seem to be dangerous. Sometimes people are lightly messing with it. If you hit the wrong place, you can knock someone out. Right. You can also kill somebody much more easily than you might think. So if you want to play with this stuff, you know, this is a don't do this at home, kids. Go and get some instruction. Right. And know the risks you're taking with any of this. I mean, one of the things that I, I guess I teach more than anything else, no, no matter what we're talking about, is how to risk assess. Because hmm. everything we do is a risk. So how do you risk assess? How do you be clear? These are the possible great things that might come out of this. And here's the possible downsides. And do I want to take that risk? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, do you ever have people that you're having these conversations and they're just like, this is too much for me. Like, I don't understand this. Do you ever get that? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, on a professional level, it's different because I'm working with them about it. So we wouldn't be having yeah, a conversation with their stuff. But personally, I've met people where we've sat down to negotiate what, what do we want to do together? And I'm like, I'm into this, 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 and this. They're like, whoa, okay. You know, I can then either decide to do something that's lighter or say, okay, we're obviously not compatible. That's cool. Would, how would you consider yourself? Like, would you consider yourself be a little more on edgier, more adventurous or, yeah. I mean, it seems like it from what yeah, you're telling I, me. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely, I mean, I know people who are much more edgy than I am, but I definitely am, am, am at the further end of the scale. 
Um, oh, and, and another question I often get asked is, oh, does, is it like a gateway thing, right? You know, you do a little mm. bit and you want more and you get, and you, it gets more intense and more intense and more intense. No, it's not. People are making choices. This isn't a, yeah. you know, your, your, your body takes over, um, you know, you're making choices. So um, you can actually keep yourself at one particular level. I see. So what would you say? Because, you know, I, I think this is great. We're, we're being very open and I think that's important. What's the light end and what's the super end of the edge? Like what's the contrast? Like if you had examples of that. So light, end, light end is things like um, sensation play. So blindfolding somebody and okay. then tickling them or pinching them lightly or using a Wartenberg wheel, um, which it, What's that? It's a... Um, it's actually a tool for neurologists, but it's a it's it's got it's got a handle and it's a wheel with little spikes. Uh -huh. Right, you can get really sharp ones and you can get less sharp ones, and so you kind of just touch it to the person. So, or okay. you the person. So that would be the light and that kind of stuff, um, or you know, having your hands tied in front of you, or right. These these are light light activities. Um, the heavy sort of stuff. Um, well, I'm going to say something that's going to make makes every man shrivel. Uh, obviously this is not something I do cause I'm not male and I'm not dominant. So, um, but ball nailing, ball, yeah. ball nailing. Yeah. They nail the outer skin of the balls to, yeah. To like, put, yeah. Nail it. Like they pin it down. Like, like no, like nail, like hammer nail. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> you asked what the heavy end looks like. Oh, that. I want to know. I mean, I want everybody to get the full information here. That's man. the heavy end. I mean, I don't go, you know, that's, have you ever done that? Like, have you ever like done the nailing? Oh, no, like, I'm, not, I'm first of all, I'm not dominant, so yeah, no. That's it, that's and right. I'm not, yeah. I, and I'm not a sadist, so no, it wouldn't please me to do. <laughs> I can't even watch it; it makes me cringe. Um, and no, I wouldn't. I've never had anybody put nails through me, and I wouldn't want that. Yeah, that, you know, yeah. that's further than I would want to go. Um, but that sort of thing, you know, um, um, people do um, cutting, but. Um, which is less, believe it or not, it's actually less intense than that. So um, doing kind of pa pretty pattern cutting, you know, like you okay. might do but they do it within a sexual environment. They do play piercing, you know, needle needle play, that's mm -hmm. out on the edge, um, uh, breath play, um, suffocation, so, you know, yeah. face sitting, things like that. Um, sometimes not on the edge, sometimes on the edge, depending on what somebody's doing, you know? So, um, yeah, there's a really wide range of things people get up to. If, if, um, if it exists, somebody's turned on by it. Wow. Do you think this is more common than people are leading on about oh, absolutely. it? It's hugely more common. Um, you know, we're looking at, um, 30 to 35% of the population that we know of engages in some form of these activities. And it, it's very hard to get really accurate statistics because people don't want to talk to anybody about sex. Right. They, you know, they worry about even, you look, they won't even talk to their fucking partners. They're not talking to the researchers easily, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> true. It's easier to talk to a stranger because if they don't like what you're talking about, then you don't care because you don't know them. That makes sense. You think that's why, like, um, I remember seeing that whole thing about Kinsey and yeah. his work <clears throat> that, you know, that was so groundbreaking because people just weren't talking and about it or all of a sudden you're learning about all this information. Like, wow, people are really into this stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it's much more common than anybody's aware of. 
Um, and it, it's not gotten more, you know, people go, oh, well, you know, it's a sign of the times that people are doing weirder things and blah, blah, blah. No, it's just we're talking about it now. It's been going on. It's just the conversation yeah. is being yeah, open. That's I right. think I totally believe that. I think people are very kinky in many ways, and they just have been told that they can't talk about it. Yeah, so they've always people. been kinky, just like there have always been gay people, you know. Totally like, agree. Uh, no, no big <laughs> epidemic of suddenly LGBT people. Now we've got a big epidemic. No, there have always been people who are LGBTQ, <clears throat> et cetera. And that's how it is. They've always been there. It's just now we're talking about things. Right. I, it's funny how people go, oh, man, it's just like this proliferation. Of, and I agree. I'm like, there's been no proliferation. It's just it's just been there. It's just now it's more out there and more acceptable for people feel to have discussions and people feel like they can be themselves yeah. in, public in those things, which I think is great. Honestly, I think it's really good. But I think it's interesting a whole talk about like gender and all the different things, because now I'm hearing about things like gender fluidity and all those things. And yeah. I'm like, I don't understand this. Like I, I get fascinated by this stuff. And I like learning, you know, like understanding, yeah. like, what is that? What, where does that come from? You know, type of stuff. Um, so what we know now, <clears throat> the research says, excuse me, is that we're, we're all far more fluid around gender and sexuality than we ever thought. Right. And um, most people move during their lifespan in sexuality. It's easier to talk about that because people understand that. Move like between genders, you mean, or? Pardon, hang on one second. Oh, no problem, no problem. Between, um, no, in terms of sexuality, if you have a pole that's heterosexual and a pole that's homosexual, mm -hmm. you know, most people move on that spectrum during their lifetime. That doesn't mean they go from being heterosexual to homosexual. It means that they might be very, very heterosexual you know, for part of their life. And now they're a little bit more fluid and they're a little bit more flexible. And, you know, now they, you know, they might look at a picture or, you know, this is just movement with gender. It's, it's actually easier to think about than you, than you might imagine. Um, think about the woman that's super feminine, super feminine, super feminine. And then she um, has a hysterectomy and doesn't feel as feminine and is kind of, physically feeling less feminine and begins to present in the world more fluidly, a little bit more to the middle of the spectrum, maybe not masculine, but you, you know, just like- That makes a lot of sense. Actually, they, because I saw like a, a special on twins and I saw these ladies and they were very um, feminine looking when they were young. And then as older ladies, they looked very masculine. Like very masculine, but they are, but they are heterosexual, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing. So people, we're just now looking at the fact that, that, um, it's just, more, it's, it's more complicated than anybody ever really thought about, but then it leaves room for people to be themselves, which is what's a wonderful thing. You know, that's what you want. You want people being who they are. Um, they're yeah. happier. Of course. But one of the things is that humans have difficulty with ambivalence, with shades of gray, with things that aren't one thing or another, right? They want yeah. you to pick a side. They want you to pick a box. Um, and to me, it's a mark of, of somebody who's really made the transition into fully-fledged adulthood if they can sit with ambivalence because hmm. it's not easy. Most of our lives are there. You know, very few things really play out into it a yes or no answer. Right, right. Most of our lives are maybes. 
There's a lot of maybes and a lot of waiting and a lot of mm-hmm. kind of figuring things out, you know, over time. I, th- I think it's very interesting uh, stuff. Now on your shows, what are what topics are you really excited about that you're tackling these days? Well, we do all sorts of stuff. I mean, I, I'm I'm we, <laughs> yesterday was A's for all the fields, and we ended up talking about purity pledges because I, I'll have a topic and I, I have a guest on, and the conversation goes where it goes, so you never know. Of course, I'm really looking forward to. Um, we're going to be doing L is for lube, um, and I'm <laughs> looking forward to doing. I'm not looking forward to doing some more sex sex education topics because. A lot of the time, people don't even have the basic information they need. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about gender again. I've I've had a number of really good guests on to talk about gender, um, and I, I always love the BDSM and kink um, right. ones. You know, I like I like, and I'd like to explore some more of the communities that are lesser known. Like I had somebody on who was is a furry. Um, uh, last I've season, heard of this. Yeah, I'd like to get some more people on to talk a bit more about what is it that they really enjoy about this. Um, we did a show on water sports that was pretty cool. You know, water again, sports? Um, the, at water sports is, is with urination. Oh my God, I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> like, That's what it's called. Oh my God, I'm like, so well, naive about some of this stuff. <laughs> so we had a show on that and, um, and that was really cool because I mean, these are things that are actually not as uncommon as you might think. and but nobody's talking about them. And they're also the things that people are most ashamed about. And I, I spend a lot of time trying to get people to stop feeling ashamed. Yeah. You know, as long as you're not doing something that harms someone else or acting uh, um, against someone's consent or with someone who can't consent, you know, whatever you, whatever turns you on, turns you on. Right. The purity pledge thing. What was that? What was that conversation like? Just that um, a lot of um, a lot of women who are being raised in this sort of purity um, environment um, are really going into marriage unaware of even the basics about sex. So they're they're taught that um, here it is. You should you know you have to be. Um, good you have to make sure that you're not um uh involved in any kind of sexual relationship or experiencing any pleasure before marriage you keep it for the marriage you keep it for the marriage you keep it for the marriage then they get married and they can't access any of this because they haven't learned anything about it and they've spent all this time pushing all this stuff away and turning away from it that they're then where they're supposed to be able to be sexual. And now it's time to be engaged. Mm-hmm. They haven't a clue what to do. Um, <clears throat> you know, we don't have this much of this in England, um, which is where I'm based. And so, and when I left the United States in 1990, there wasn't a lot of this going on. So I found, found it really interesting conversation to have quite frightening. Um, I like, uh, 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 I'll be doing another one about the line between abuse and, um, uh, consent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll do another one about um, cheating in non-monogamous relationships because I think that's a great, great topic. Cheating in non-monogamous relationships. Yep. How does that work? Well, we have rules about our relationship, right? Like in my relationship, I can't go out with someone until they talk to him. That's right. One. So if you don't talk to him, then it's considered cheating. Yeah, it's cheating. Sure. It's the same as anything else. If I lie and I break, and I break the rules that we have, then I'm cheating. 
Actually, it makes sense based off of how it was broken down for that. I was like, I was like, how does that work? And then you say, oh yeah, that that would make sense then. Seems like it's a lot of communication. Just people just aren't saying what they want, what they desire, and being open. That's one I would say. My wife and I, we've been married 15 years, and we were very open with each other from day one about what we wanted in our relationship, sexually, emotionally, socially. So we've never had issues with any of that stuff. Because it's just a conversation. If you've been open about that and you've talked about it, then you have a much better chance of being able to, to work out things when things do come up. I mean, we change, right? We're we do. Not, you know, none of us are static beings. Hopefully you keep growing and we change. And sometimes that means things like, um, you know, sometimes, for example, somebody doesn't, they go through a period where sex is the last thing on their mind and they don't want any sex. And their partner, if they're in a monogamous relationship, could find that difficult. But if you can have a conversation about what can we do about this, how can you manage this, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you special pornography as a present or, you you know, right. go and masturbate or, or I, I'm willing to participate in the intimacy part, but I don't want to have the sex or whatever it is. People come up with the most creative solutions, but that requires having the conversation. But there's another thing that they have to do as well, and that's be present. And oh, my God. People are so checked out so much of the time, right? You know, when you're with a partner, when you're, when you're with somebody you want to date or have sex with, you need to be present, be in the room, not in social media, not in your head, doing your laundry list, not sure. thinking about what you're going to do next day or my favorite. Oh, and this is going to be such a cool picture to post. What? Like you're, <laughs> you know, people post, they go out on dates and, and the, there's pictures, picture, 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 picture. And it's like. What was the date like? What was the actual date? Yeah, what was that? Like? We were at a concert. I like, I still like rock concerts, yeah? Right? Me too. <laughs> and ain't never going to change. We went to see Jethro Tull again. Nice. Um, um, I, we saw Jethro Tull twice in, uh, during the 50th anniversary tour, once in the front row. Um, but we went to the Czech Republic in order to do that, so that was wow. fun. We saw him in Prague um, in a theater with carpeting, which was really weird. That's right? weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's strange. Um, and my husband's African-American. This is total aside. My husband's African-American. And um, and my, so it was me, him, and my, my son, who's 17, and he's got a shock of bright red hair and is, is pale. And uh, we're there, and we're in this, like, I don't know, five to 6,000 seat auditorium. And he was the only dark-skinned person in the entire fucking Right, place. right. <laughs> of course. It was, like, it was a complete non-issue, but he looked at me and I looked at him. I'm like, okay, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, like no one, zero, no one. Yeah, okay, I've yeah. been in those environments myself. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, we'd be at a concert and people have their phones up. The latest one, we went to see um, Steve Hackett and he performed Selling England by the Pound, the whole album which was just like, yes. But people were like watching it through the phone, trying yeah. to it. And I just want to slap the phone out of their hands, <laughs> right? Like, first of all, it annoys me because it's like near my line of vision. Yeah, second of course. All, second of all, fucking experience it, right? Don't experience it once removed. Yeah, totally so agree. That's a big thing with sex and relationships. Like people don't, they're not there. They're not present. They like they're taking pictures during it, sex? Like, well, or like. Not to take pictures during sex, but on dates, they'll be taking pictures in preference to 
interacting. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but what they do is that, you know, <clears throat> if you're nervous, it can be hard to be present, right? Oh, yeah. my God. I look, I, the number of women who worry about how they look when they're fucking, I can't, I don't understand. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a big thing with younger women. I don't understand. Okay? Like how they look, like in their hair, like right. how they're... Yeah. Am I attractive? How do I look when I'm when I'm fucking and when I'm coming? I'm going to tell you something, girls. You look weird. <laughs> you look ridiculous. And you look hot as hell. Exactly. They can see the pleasure. Your partner sees the pleasure. They're not going, oh, that's a good smile. I think that right. They want they want to see you lose control. It's yes. really important. But these women worry about this. And so you can't you can't feel when you're busy in your head. Sometimes people get triggered, it happens, and they don't know how to bring themselves back. So they're not even in the room anymore. Hmm. They're just going through the motions. You know, when people do things that they don't really want to do to please a partner without having a discussion and making a decision to do it, they just kind of go along. Yeah. They get resentful. They're not present. So the first thing in any situation is be present. The like one of the biggest tips for having a great relationship is to spend 15 minutes present with your partner every day. Yeah. Great advice. That's it. You know, just be there. You don't even necessarily have to talk. You can just sit there looking at each other. Such a good advice. I mean, last night my wife and I were, we were going to watch some TV, but we sat for like an hour and just talked about race in America and we started talking about the cosmos and planets and, you know, it's just so so rewarding and we've done that forever we always do that but it's like you'd be surprised how many people don't spend that time at all with each other you know we i, I understand people get into habits they get into ruts yeah. like lots of stresses and all of that but if you check out in the way in your job in and your career in the way that people check out in their relationships you'd be fired right you know, people would be unemployed um they make so little effort or what i hear a lot which i find really disconcerting is, oh, relationships shouldn't be work. <laughs> Who says that, man? That's terrible advice. People, I don't want it if I have to work at it. If I have to, if I tell, if I have to tell you, I want you to bring me flowers and the flowers are no longer a, a, a valid present because you're supposed to magically divine what you I want. know that I want those. <laughs> if we really belong together, you will know bullshit, right? Yeah. We have to communicate. And that doesn't mean sometimes you don't surprise somebody, but it means that most of the time you get much more of what you want and you have a much better relationship if you actually talk to each other. And if you're uncomfortable talking about sex, write it down. And if you're uncomfortable writing it down because you don't want to own it, find a movie, not necessarily pornography. You know, there are a lot mm -hmm. of erotic movies that aren't porn. Um, I have an ebook called 74 movies that are not X-rated <laughs> that are all really hot movies, but they're not porn. So no cum shots and, you know, yeah. Um, you know, find a movie that shows some of what you're interested in and watch it together. You don't even have to tell them what you're interested in and then watch their reaction or find some written erotica and go, Hey, I, I, I was, I was having a look at this. What do you think? Or read somebody else's words out loud to them, which is really sexy, and see how they react. And then if they react well to the thing that you want, now you've got the conversation starter. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, what do you think? You talked about young people. 
I've heard so much about people like millennials and such, yeah. and uh, a lot of I've seen a lot of stuff about sexual dysfunction and millennials being an issue. Have you seen that or have been aware of that? You know, I've been aware of some of that. I mean, there seems to be two kind of messages around millennials. One is sexual dysfunction being an issue, and the other is, oh, they're into everything, and they're so much more fluid than we were, and they're so much more accepting. Mm -hmm. And, and um, what I'm finding is that, <clears throat> frighteningly, they get most of their information um, from the Internet, and right. but also social media. And what happens is, is that one person... Uh, picks up a piece of information and then blasts it on social media. And so then everybody has that same wrong piece of information. Um, sometimes it's not even wrong information. It's just not the only answer. So yeah. I've seen this a lot with things like mindfulness. Like, um, you know, I, I wrote a, an article about being present during sex, which, by the way, guys, when you're being present, you're being mindful. Just saying, right? You don't need a special word for it. <laughs> okay. Um, but... Um, it became a thing and I watched all of these people started writing about mindful and mindful sex is, is the best sex and it's the only sex now. Like, and, and they have this really weird misunderstanding that being mindful means you're being gentle and you're being slow. Being mindful means, so you can't have, you know, rough, vigorous sex and be mindful. That's bullshit, right? But misinformation gets put forward. And the other thing is the tendency to listen to people in their own age group and a little bit above their own, not much above their own age group, talk about their expertise in sex and relationships. And I'm kind of saying like, how many relationships have you had? You're 22 years old and you're a sex expert. How is that? That's a sexual expert. Right. Or you're How are you that at 22? I don't know. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people, you know, um, you know, the, the kind of, the uh, conventionally considered attractive meme. <laughs> um, I see, I see. Influencers, women um, and guys, but mainly women out there, you know, and they're talking about the, the, you know, now is the age of female pleasure and they make these pronouncements and stuff. And I'm like, that's great. I'm glad. Now, uh, what have you experienced? Right. Yeah. You know, and it, I've had two partners or uh, I, I changed my life. I had a bad sexual relationship and now I have an amazing sexual relationship and everybody should do it this way. And I'm like, OK, um, I'm OK if you say this is my experience, but everybody should do it this way is where I start to have difficulty. because I'm like, what the fuck do you know? Right. Right. It's so interesting. There's there's so many realms of this. And I something, you know, when I do these. I just go off a of feel. I don't know what I'm going to ask people. I just listen here. And I started thinking, this popped in my mind. How do women view sex in your mind as they get older? Let's say they're in like their 50s and 60s. I think it's an area that sometimes people think, oh, I'm got, I've gotten older. And men too, obviously. Like, I'm older now. Um, what's, the, what's the take on that? Because I think I'm in my 40s, and I, I definitely feel like I have a different take on sex at this age than I did when I was 20, obviously. But yeah. how do you see that? I'm going to be 57 in March. Mm -hmm. I'm you look better. fantastic, by the way, Laura, Thank just you. so you know. Thank you. I tell people it's genetics, avoiding the sun, but most of all, it's happiness. It's the energy happiness. that comes through. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I have better sex now than I had at any other time in my life. Um, and what that's about is knowing exactly who I am and what I want 
and what I don't want and being willing and confident enough to go to get what I want. And that's the difference. Um, you know, I don't, I think, I still see sex as, as part, an integral part of connection to other human beings. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw it that way when I was in my 20s, but I'm no longer ashamed of that. I was saying to my friend the other night, um, I'm like, you know, I realized the other day that um, I'm still such a slut, but <laughs> right? I am. I'm like the biggest slut. But um, and some people be like, oh, that's a horrible word. Don't use it. Well, we use it as a reclaimed word. Right. I love to have sex um, and I love to have sex with a number of people. Um, but the difference in my 20s and now is in my 20s, I felt really ashamed and shitty about it, but tried to pretend that I didn't because, you know, it was cool to, to be a slut, but it was not cool to be a slut. Right. Um, and I am surrounded by people who are quite happy to be slutty with me now. And, and so there's no judgment, right? It's like we have a right. group of friends. We have this group of friends. And I mean, I like most of the, the people in the group of friends, right? I like, oh yeah, I'd fuck her, I'd fuck him, right? Yeah. And like, if I decide to act on that, nobody's got an issue with it. Like nobody gets jealous, nobody's upset. Nobody, they know where I'm coming from. They know exactly what it is I want. If they're into me, they're into me and that's it. And, you know, and, and, but we're friends. We actually have relationships with each other. Um, but it's, it's just a different attitude. It's like, yeah, this is me. This is who I am. Life's too short to ha have shame or be worried about it. I, I ain't hurting nobody. So there it is. Right. And so it is a different look. I think that there's a divide with women, um, around those who have found their sexual confidence. Um, a lot of women that I know who are either past the menopause or who had to have hysterectomies. That changes a lot of things. Some it makes it a lot worse for. You do have some physical problems that we often need to contend with. Some people do, some people don't. But for a lot of people, um, and I didn't believe this when, when my, one of my friends said, um, oh, after you have a hysterectomy, it makes it even better. And I was like, um, I had to have a hysterectomy in 2018. Yeah. And I was really worried about it because um, <clears throat> for those people who aren't aware, for many women, um, uterine contractions are, are a big add-on part of orgasm. Hmm. So if you don't have a uterus. Right. Right. So I was really worried that orgasm would like go away or yeah, it didn't. But I, <laughs> I didn't believe my friends who were saying, you have no idea it gets even better. And I was like, oh yeah, bullshit. Well, they were right. It got even better. Um, and you know, part of that is that I had been in pain and not really aware of how much pain I was in until I was out of pain, which is not unusual. Right. Um, but a lot of it is about sexual confidence. It, it really is. And not, you're not so worried about, um, forever with people because you have a, a different sense of mortality. You're not so worried about being rejected because you know who you are. So if somebody's not into you, it's not a personal affront. Right. Like in your twenties, when somebody rejects you, Oh, I'm ugly and I'm horrible. And I'm right. Ready. Right. <laughs> In your 50s, when somebody rejects you, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, moving on. <laughs> exactly. But I, I don't think it's that way for everyone. I think you have to do a lot of work on yourself to be in that position where you're comfortable. Um, and um, 
And for anybody who thinks that sex ends at any age, it doesn't. People go on and on and on. The guest I had on my show yesterday, um, she does these um, comedy sex ed, comedy combined with sex ed parties and classes. And she sells toys. And her oldest customer, she told me, is 94 years old. Wow. Just bought another toy from her. That's right? Amazing. Orgasm. You can have orgasm till you die. So um, it doesn't have to stop. It might have to change. Right? Now, libidos and changing change. your libidos do change. That's just for, for sure. Yeah, um, it's, it's an interesting one. You know, I um, because they took out my ovaries when I had the hysterectomy, I requested to have some testosterone and um, some hormone replacement. Now, it, people don't realize that women's ovaries are what, what, what produces t the testosterone. It puts testosterone out well into their 80s. So it's not about menopause. Right. And um, testosterone is really important to women too it's what um spurs on our libido it also has to do with energy it has to do with muscle mass um so there's a lot of things where if you have no testosterone negative changes happen right skin and hair and so i um i i use a little bit of testosterone gel every day and oh my god i hadn't realized my libido had gone down until i got back my previous libido and then i went Oh yeah, this is what it's like. Yeah, and I forgot. Ah, oh. <laughs> okay, right. Um, and so it does. You have to pay attention to those things. There are ways of getting it started. The thing about having low libido—that's the biggest problem—is when your libido is low, you don't think about sex, which means you don't have it. Right. Now it doesn't mean that you won't enjoy it if you do have it. You're just not thinking about it. But if you're not thinking about it, you've got to have reminders so that you can get it started, so that you can have the sex and enjoy right. the sex. And the more sex you're having, the more your libido will come up. Right. It was interesting. Again, just popped in my head. This old head of mine, this thing's popping in. What is your uh, take on masturbation and uh, like the frequency of it that you? Because I think a lot of people, I mean, they don't talk about it so much. But like, I think some people think, "Am I masturbating too much? Is it?" <laughs> Like, you know, like I'm, I'm just fascinated by that conversation, well, people. So most people masturbate, like most people. Like percentage-wise, <laughs> like 80, 90 percent? I mean, 90 percent. 90 percent, yeah. 90 percent-ish. You know, I mean, it changes different figures at different lifetimes, but yeah. And um, and it doesn't go down when people are in relationships. It goes up when people are in relationships. Yeah. Because they're here, right? I totally agree with that. <laughs> it, it, it's just how it is. Um. There's, I mean, you know, what's too much? Too much is if you're doing it so often that you get yourself in trouble because you're not going to work or you're, anything that you do to a in a compulsive way compulsion, is too yeah. much. And that's it, right? It's not addiction, right. it's a compulsion. Compulsion is a totally different thing. And so any habit pattern that you have that you, you know, that's too much. Otherwise, it's not too much or too little. It's good for you. Um, it's, it's a good relief. It's also, um, you know, it's, it's good for your heart. It's good for getting the hormones moving around your body. So it's good for your skin. It's good for your hair. It's good for um, your organs. Give yourself a little bit of a workout. Um, it, it is the kind of use it or lose it thing, right? So it's always a good thing to keep a hand in, so to speak. <laughs> if, you don't, um, if you don't, you get things like with women, thinner skin and less lubrication and things like that. Um, and changes in men as well. So use it or lose it. Um, yeah. And lots of lube. Always use lots of lube. Um, but um, I find, I mean, I always find, I have a 
a woman that is out in Singapore. Her name is Dr. Martha Tara Lee, and she came on my show some time ago. Um, this was a number of years ago, and we did M is for masturbation, and she was talking about having a full day masturbation date with herself, right? Oh. She was talking about the fact that, and, I, and I've observed this, for a lot of people, masturbation is a quick thing, right? Right. It's a quick come. It's a quick come to go to sleep. It's a quick come to get rid of some tension. It's a quick come because you were horny and you just want to, instead of actually taking time. Um, and so the challenge is to take some time with yourself and explore and see what you find out. Um, and, you know, she was saying that, it, it, and I agree, it's a really good way to explore desire and explore fantasy um, and find new erogenous zones and things like that. Test little things out on yourself before you go and test them with a partner. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, that's, I'd never heard of that. Like a full day of that. Yeah, neither had I. I thought, I thought that was like, again, lots of lube, guys. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it got to be a lot of lube for a full yeah, day of action. For a full day. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's truly amazing. Wow. Uh, you gave me a lot to think about today, Lori. I tell you, it was better than I even thought it was. I thought it was going to be good. It's better than good. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad. You were we amazing. We do aim to please. <laughs> well, you are amazing. I love the tattoo. I think I saw a little bit of that right there. I have... Let's see what you got there. What is that? Um, okay, so it's the Eye of Ra. I've got an Ankh. I've got uh, an uh, Isis and the Scarab. There. It looks like the album cover for a Journey album to me a little wow. bit. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. If you, it's one of their albums. It yeah. looks exactly like the cover of <laughs> the Journey album. That's amazing. Well, you uh, have so much knowledge. Uh, I, I love your honesty. I'm always going for that with anybody I talk to, let's just be honest. It's like in the beginning you were saying, well, I'm not sure, you know, where we can go with this and that. And I always like to tell people like, just let it rip, man. Yeah. You know, just be you. Cause I want people to know who you are, the real you, not some podcast version of, Hey, let's all be all these niceties with each other. You know, I do think something you know, for me, and it is part of age really. It's like, can't be bothered. Right. Can't be bothered yeah. to, to um, pretend to be something that I'm not, you know, I, you know, and that, and for, you know, that doesn't mean that people see every part of me. You know, there are times where it's yeah. not appropriate to see every part of me, but I don't, but I'm not suppressing who I am because somebody might not like that. It's like, yeah, right. you don't like it. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast and spending time. I know you're in LA, right? Right I now? am at the moment. Yeah. Oh man. Enjoy LA. And, uh, I've greatly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. We'll be in touch. Yep. Take care. All right. You too. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower. Every note. Or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew. Cruising. You can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at AmFam.com. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I'm Frank, and I'm not a big fan of BJ's Wholesale Club's super low gas prices. I don't trust things that low. Started in 92. Big office Christmas party. Come on, join the limbo line. Now I see a chiropractor. So, no, BJ's. I don't want super low gas prices. Okay, then. But if you'd like super low gas prices and over 50% off a membership, join the new BJ's Wholesale Club, opening soon in McDonough. Visit BJ's.com slash McDonough or the BJ's Membership Center on Highway 81 West. Limited time offer, new members only.